You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and on this installment of The Check-In, we caught up with Jamila McGill, co-owner of Brooklyn Tea. Now, when we first met Jamila way back in episode 50, she and her partner Ali had just opened their brick-and-mortar location in Brooklyn's Bed-Stuy neighborhood. And at the top of 2020, they not only celebrated their one-year anniversary, but were also starting to get the foot traffic and recognition that they deserved. Then the pandemic shut down indoor dining indefinitely, which was the core of their business at the time. But as the country turned its focus towards social justice, something else happened. There was a rise in support for Black-owned businesses. With some high-profile press coverage, Brooklyn Tea saw a rise in online sales. And while it took some adjustments to meet the demand, it looks like that uptick in online orders is here to stay. As Jamila candidly explains, it hasn't been easy, but she and Ali have persevered. So without further ado, please enjoy. Jamila, welcome back to the December 26er podcast. How are you? I'm fine. Feels great to be back. This is my first interview ever. We first shot this, so it's amazing to be full circle in this experience. Talk about a full circle moment because you guys have been everywhere. GoDaddy has had you featured and everything else. So you're, you know, you've been putting in the work and it's much deserved to see how you guys have just publicized yourselves and others have promoted the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm excited to hear about how things have evolved since we last spoke. You were way, episode 50. So way back when we were just entering our second year, I think. Um, yes. You and you were just preparing to, to open your brick and mortar location. And as we know, the world has changed dramatically. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yes. So it'll be great to hear about all the, the professional and personal changes uh, you've had since then. So I, I remember we, we talked, you brought the tea. I'm a fan of Brooklyn Tea. Um, and we, DeMarcus and I were at the grand opening. Right. So before we get into life during the pandemic, what was that first year like in business for you in the brick and mortar location? Well, you know, so when we did this interview, it was probably a week before we opened our store doors. And so we opened December 22nd, three days before Christmas. And actually the love there was magnetic. Like the first day we we drew in a, a good, a, a good decent sized crowd. And so and that happened on the 23rd, happened on the 24th. And so here we're thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to be able to start paying down this debt sooner than later. We're feeling really good, feeling very positive. We go to New Jersey um, on Christmas Day, having a good time, eating turkey legs, right? <laughs> and then we get a call from the landlord. He's like, hey, um, your store is flooded. I'm like, what? Oh no. See, I didn't even know this. Go ahead. See, your store is flooded. I'm like, oh no. Um, so we're thinking, okay, it's totally fine. Like, it can't be that flooded. We haven't really done much with the store. So we go about our business. We, we were planning to return to the store midday anyway. So we get there 4.30. The store is dripping. <laughs> like, the floor is wet. Downstairs is a wreck. And these are new floors. These are new walls. The basement you see pockets of water so just like 
entrenched, drenched in the in the ceiling. Um, we had to redo everything in the basement, and we we hadn't even begun to pay off <laughs> the first installment when we first got it done, right? Um, and so that definitely just kicked us in the butt, right? And we really had to ask ourselves, are we still going to do this three days in, right? Are we still um, seeing this as a pathway forward for us? And, you know, the, the easy answer for us was yes. So we just put on, we went home, put on some rain boots. We got buckets. We were poking holes in the ceiling so, and watching all the water gush from there. And we, we woke up the next day, 5 a.m. to get the store open with a smile. So that's how we kicked off the beginning of Brooklyn Tea. So, but let's talk about this because you you had a landlord. So, I mean, was he responsible for, for any of this, the source of whatever caused the flooding or anything? Or was he basically like, y'all got a, y'all got a leak somewhere, good luck? Well, see, that's the um, interesting thing about being a tenant, <laughs> a commercial tenant in New York. All is fair in love and war here. <laughs> Everything is... This is what you're, you're renting. This is a space you have. This is what you have to deal with. Um, and so it wasn't completely the building's fault. Um, there was an installation problem with the ice machine. Mm. And it's winter, so we, won't, we weren't even using the ice machine. So something that completely just turned us upside down, we weren't even using, we weren't even making money off of at that time because it was December. So, <laughs> so you, you go through this, Get it, you know, resolve the issue, remediate, open the store the next day. But what and knowing that you already had debt that you hadn't started to pay down. So what did it look like over the next few months in terms of the just the commercials of keeping the space open, keeping people employed, sustaining your own lifestyles as well? Yeah. So the first month it was just Ali and I. We worked the shop and it mm-hmm. became very evident that we could not do that any longer. And so we secured our first um, staff member. And luckily she had store experience. She had previously worked at another cafe. Um, and there were many, there were many weeks where we paid out of pocket. Ali worked his full-time job. I, he still works his full-time job. Uh, we're making an exit strategy for that, hopefully at the top of 2022. Uh, but there were were days and or weeks when um, what we were bringing in wasn't enough to pay even that one staff member. And other weeks we we managed right. Um, we didn't take a salary for the first year. Um, Ali still doesn't take a salary. I just started taking a little bit to you know for some bus money and lunch, <laughs> um, probably like three months ago. And I was so proud of my little chump change check <laughs> because it was a proof. Um, that we had we had done something um, sustainable enough to give me a check, and that felt um, very inspiring. But it also took a year and a half. If it took a year and a half to make that kind of revenue and to feel that comfortable to take from the store too, um, and not allowing everything to be okay. I need to have the nest for Brooklyn Tea be this amount, or I feel like we can just. We, we could just fail at any time. I need to I need to have like five months rent, right? Uh, and you start to loosen the reins on that and say, no, I am going to resent my business if I don't start to pay myself first. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought this up. The two points, resenting the business and paying yourself, but also the realities of how long it takes to get to that point. And even if if anybody knows anything about business ownership, particularly in the industry that you're in, 
a year and a half is actually that's quick for, for yeah. a lot of people. But, you know, I think we often look at the Instagram posts and the press that folks are getting. And they're like, people often look at that and think they've got this all figured out. Like, you know, clearly they're making it work. Clearly they're successful. Clearly they're not evicted from their space. Like, what yeah. am I doing wrong? Not realizing the realities of possibly holding on to a full-time job and running an entire business or paying an employee out of pocket or not knowing like, okay, the commercial rent is paid. What's the deal with my personal bills? Like, how is this supposed to work? Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you, you were you were really candid about that because that is more common than yeah. the other story where people are just high on the hog yeah. and, and doing well enough financially to be able to keep all those balls in the air. But so, so you had this employee, you're making it work week in, week out, month in, month out. And then we start hearing rumblings about this virus at the, at the top of 2020. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was in the camp of people like, this is really scary, but I guess we're going to be home for a couple of weeks. Like no idea the magnitude of, of what it was going to be. So what were your feelings when you first started seeing the news reports about this thing? And we didn't even really know what it was at the time. So to give some context, at the top of 2020, we had just celebrated our one-year anniversary. We had just started to gain um, the foot traffic that we wanted to see, started getting the sales and revenue that we were hoping to look at um, at the top of the year. And we are really becoming a staple in the neighborhood. Right. And so we were getting some of that cultural cachet that we were hoping to to um, make foundational to our store as well. And when we first heard like the rumblings, as you mentioned, we didn't really pay much attention to it. Right. We knew we needed to be kind of safe. We were already sanitary people. You know, <laughs> like the store is a clean place. So we're already right, wiping down frequently. Like I'm a southerner. Ali's mom is Jamaican. We're going to be clean. Right. And so we're like, right. okay, we're doing the basics. Um, we're in a tea shop. So clearly we have complete, you know, constant access to herbs and things to um, help boost our immune system. And that switched Right. We get into March and then the rumblings are in, indoor dining is going to shut down. At that point, I completely freaked out. I cried. Maybe I screamed. <laughs> uh, I was definitely in a moment of despair. And I remember posting about it um, on Instagram. And in that moment, I was just telling my story. But as I look back at it, like I looked fearful. Right. And um it was definitely definitely hard for us. Our store was empty. Our, our sales declined anywhere from 50 to 80% of what we were starting to bring in. We had to cut down our staffing hours. Uh, I mean, just our morale in general was really hard to keep upbeat because it was such a drastic experience. Uh, and it was so different from where we saw, saw ourselves going into year two. And we struggled to kind of find our footing. You know, people talk about, you know, that, that buzzword pivot. Um, and it we didn't pivot as quickly as some people might think. We struggled probably for, for two and a half, maybe three months mm-hmm. um, trying to get some, some sense of where to go. We mainly got our revenue from on from in-store. And so we hadn't really monopolized on the online platform, even though that's where we started. But it was really a place where like our mom and auntie shopped, right? We didn't mm-hmm. have a, a, a real audience there who was, you know, 
dedicated and loyal in return and created um, real cash flow for us. Uh, and so one day I thought about an immunity box, right? We're always thinking about what is it that our customer is in need of, right? They're not in need of the intimate in-person experience right now, which we've created so much um, of our environment around. They need something that makes them feel in control of their health. They need something that makes them feel like they can be thoughtful and intentional about their friends and family's health, right? And so we thought about the herbs that we already have, soursop and sage and all these things that are antibacterial, antiviral, rooibos. Um, and then we started to see sales from people that we didn't know. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, we're onto something. We can mm -hmm. be more than this mom and pop shop, right? Um, and that helped us along. We were starting to be able to pay bills and that was great, but it wasn't really the big boost. I will say we are one of those black businesses that saw the light at the end of the tunnel with the support around small black businesses. Mm -hmm. And when June hit and the tragedy um, around police brutality um, really came to a head and you saw everyone um, rallying behind the Black Lives Matter movement, um, we started to see sales that we could have never dreamed of. And we got um, featured, features and highlights from Shonda Rhimes and we were in Beyonce's Black on Parade. And, and just in these avenues, and in these spaces um, that a, a business in their second year, uh, a part of me is I has survivor skills. Like we didn't have any, we didn't have any, um, any business being recognized in that way, um, especially only after a, a year of being in business. It's so surprising to me that we had done enough for people to want to keep us going. And how did those features come about? Was it something that you were actively looking for? Was it word of mouth? How did it happen? Till this day, <laughs> I have no clue. And that is not the story of just Brooklyn Tea. That is the story of so many other small Black-owned businesses. I know because I've spoken to them. There was just somebody out there um, who saw the environment of what was happening, saw the need to push capital into the into the hands of small black businesses and they did it on their own right and so just the power of influence the power of people with influence being intentional about their voices um it was never never was never sought out we didn't think we were big enough to ask you know mm. and isn't that crazy how you say, okay, we're, we're not at a place yet to even solicit this kind of coverage or this yeah. kind of feature. And then something is working behind the scenes that you had to do nothing for that gives you the publicity that, that you didn't think you deserve. Yeah. Our business has never been the same. And it's been a, a long journey with battling with worth, right? And mm -hmm. with where we see ourselves um, as entrepreneurs. In the beginning, when we were seeing this this extreme increase in sales in June, a part of the system's failure was COVID, right? We get our tea from China and Japan. And as you can imagine, that's difficult. Um, UPS and USPS, they were ex experiencing delays. So it was all these like system failures that were happening. But if I'm being honest, there was a part that we have to own too, which was 
this mindset of scarcity. Mm. We didn't order enough in the future because we didn't see it lasting um, in the way that it did. We thought, we thought, okay, it's not going to last too much longer after Juneteenth, right? It's going to be this big boom. All these hashtags are going to happen and then it's going to fizzle out. And we can't, we can't prepare in that way. We can't prepare and have this inventory um, for something that we didn't know was going to be on the other end. There was going to be any receivers. Um, and if had we lived and thought about our business in abundance, we could have been more ready. That's a word. So, but so thinking about that though, how did you navigate the, the, the challenges that, that were in and without outside of your control with respect to like actually getting these orders out and shipped to people? I did order an immunity box. I got mine in, 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 a, in a good, a decent amount of time. It didn't take forever. But how did you, uh, how did you navigate that? Especially being such a small team. It was probably one of the most difficult transitions I've ever had to deal with because we were, we had half the staff, right? Um, because you couldn't even have all the hands you needed because you needed to be in, in be um, in compliance, right? With COVID restrictions. We had half the inventory because we had just gone, gone from our store being empty, right? And so we didn't even have enough of the stuff because we were matching what was happening in the moment with, with COVID and, and lack of customer and foot traffic. Um, so really what we leaned into was our customer service, right? Mm. Communication, being transparent, um, emailing customers 100 through 300. Like, hey, it's coming in, in this X amount of time. Uh, updating them again, uh, trying to trying to show them the inner workings. Like we would post on Instagram photos and videos of us like working until we couldn't work anymore, right? Um, of us leaving the store at 2 a.m. Um, so people knew um, that the delay wasn't because of anything, but a, a lack of capacity at the time, right? It wasn't due to a, a lack of work ethic. It wasn't due to a lack of care. Um, it was just simply... Um, it was just simply a hardship for us and that we were mm-hmm. trying to meet the, the need of the time. And when did you feel like, you know, what, we've got a rhythm here and we're able to manage what is now a sustained uptick. This is not just a moment in time. This is our business has changed forever. When was there one light bulb moment for you where that happened? Uh, January of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it took a minute. It took a minute. Okay. <laughs> Like I mentioned, it's been a long journey of like accepting that we can be a sustainable business and that we can be larger than a mom and pop. Things that helped was we we um, completely renovated our basement. And so it used to be a cute, chic little employee lounge. And then we completely just took that out and it became like a, a small uh, fulfillment center. And so now if you go down there, it's like, Santa and his little elves, right? Um, and just get smarter about systems and structures. And this this pivot made us have to look at the pitfalls in our business and and look at the ways that we weren't being efficient, right? And we were getting away with it because we had smaller demand. But when that demand grew, it was super exposed, right? The fact that uh, if we had gloves in one location versus the other, we could move faster. If we had the the 
scale sitting in one section right next to the T, right? There were so many small things that we were able to do that didn't require money and some did, um, but a lot of it was just thinking smarter. So, you know, there's been all this talk in the media about small businesses, you know, financially, just the the commercial rent payments, the, the this, the that, not really being able to meet their obligations and and waiting. Remember early on where people were like, what's the government going to do? And then trying to get an EIDL application and trying to get a PPP application. And were you in that process as well? Yeah. Uh, if, if there's a tale to be told, we, we're always, <laughs> we're always like a part of it. So with the PPP, just as people describe, uh, it was difficult. It was difficult as a black business that wasn't tapped into the good old boys club to get to get those resources and those funds. We were doing it um, through the online portals, the things that were being told to us, um, people with little networking connection. Right. Um, We were going through the portals and we never heard back. Still to this day, I haven't heard back from some of those portals. Right. Um, And it just so happened. One of my good girlfriends, she knew a banker and this banker wasn't even in New York, reached out. We got our money in two weeks, Mm. two weeks. I could. I mean, I can't, but I'm saying I could show you the time we got the email and the time I said, thank you. We got the We got the money. And that just blows my that just blows my mind. We played by the rules. We work within the confines of what was told to us and we fell flat. But when we had that loophole, when we had that reach around, when we had that access, things moved so much smoother. Um, it, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we I think we've done a, a great job as a community of trying to support each other. Like you said, the mamas and the aunties ordering things online. We have our network and we have our system. Right. That that helps us to sustain a business. But there's something to be said for those professional connections. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 I heard growing up, make sure you have a local banker, but like in the digital age, everything is done online. So if you tell me to fill out this application, that's what I'm going to do. Makes but, sense. <laughs> but now understanding in this past year, I've heard so many stories like yours. I have my own stories around just knowing people in politics and finance and this and that who I was able to say, somebody else, call this person. Or somebody said to me, you need to get vaccinated? Come here at this time, right? All The importance of these relationships to have people in high places that can make a phone call and make something move for you can be the difference between your business surviving and having a close-up shop. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, everything that has put Brooklyn Tea in the place that it, it is now is based on a relationship and a network that was two or three levels above us mm-hmm. that were already um, that were already in the place to know what the what the playing field looked like. They already knew the actual rules, right? We were, we were operating on the false ones. Absolutely. So thinking about coming into twenty twenty one. And feeling like you've figured it out in a bit. Where were you guys at that time standing, knowing that you have this debt? Yes, having gotten money from the government. But where were you at that point in terms of feeling some financial comfort with having to continue to sustain the business and pay the bills? Uh, 
So I will say in all transparency, we haven't reached that moment yet. You mm. know, I, I, like I mentioned earlier, at least still works, works his full time job. Right. And we're working on an exit strategy now. And so this will be an interesting question for me to revisit at the top of 2022. Um, I know now that I don't worry about paying rent. I know the rent for the storefront will get paid. And that was something that always made my heart flutter. Right. I know our staff will get paid and not just paid, but these items in particular will be paid by the store, not by me, not by Ali and his personal um, checking account, but the store paid. And so there are, are things that I've just learned to know and trust, right? Um, but there's still that other piece of when we get our actual financial freedom from it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I tell everyone like success for me is when my honey <laughs> can walk away from his job and give him and give in his resignation with with love and peace, but give it, right? (laughs) Yes. And where does the knowing and trust come from for those pieces that you mentioned now? Is it because of the fact that, oh, we've got these online sales? Like, is this something tangible? Or is it just you've been in this long enough to know that certain things work itself out? So it's both, right? And so through this year, every time that I thought, it was going to be the end of, of the blitz. Uh, it continued. Right. And so then I'll, I will show up again in August, like, okay, it's, it's going to fizzle out after the summer. And then September will still be amazing. Right. And I'm like, okay, uh, it's going to dial down in, in November, you know, because it's not a holiday yet. You know, Thanksgiving doesn't really mean anything in terms of like tea per se. Right. Um, but then it did. Right. Um, and so, I kept on being wrong. And when you're wrong so many times and you're met with the evidence of being wrong, you have to let it go a little bit. So I just started to believe more because I was wrong too often. Mm. And then the second piece is now I have, now I know that there's a resource to tap into. I know that there are these other entities um, that I had like the veil over my eyes at first, but now I can see more, right? I can see that I can reach out to the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and they can tap me into something. I wasn't, and I didn't see that at first. Um, I know that I can call the Business Improvement District and they can tap me into a resource. And so I'm more, I'm more confident about my, my, my role as a businesswoman. Mm. And, you know, I, I think, culturally, and I'm speaking from my own experience, experience of, of professional colleagues and connections that I have, friends, people on this show, we are a bit more closed off to asking questions, right? We, we don't, we, we'll do our research, we find out what we find out, but often I think from a cultural perspective, we just, a lot of us weren't raised to be inquisitive and pick up the phone and say, well, how do I, do you have any help for me or, or what should I look into? It's like, you keep your ideas to, to the vest, you keep your head down, whatever, right? We just, I think we don't necessarily, all of us don't have that brazen attitude of like, come hell or high water, I'm going to get somebody on the phone and I'm going to figure out what resources I need. And it is sort of a trial and error uh, thing. And then when you get into the process, you realize, oh, there's a lot out there that is not on Google. Right. The biggest lie. In America, I mean, one of the biggest lies, <laughs> one of the biggest lies in America is pulling yourself up by the bootstrap. That mm-hmm. has to be the biggest lie that there is. And it keeps us 
it, it keeps us from actually making real progress because we're so maybe like explicitly or implicitly, consciously or unconsciously, we're trying to show that we did it, right? And everyone else who's pushing that narrative are getting all this help. Yes. Right. So while they're busy pushing that narrative to you and you're trying to match that energy, they're busy getting all the privilege, right? And so it's such a false narrative. It keeps us blinded to how we can really advance and everyone who's in a higher place asks for help. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. And also too, one of the things that I want to highlight is being at this age and, and having friends that are more traditionally situated professionally, you see people, you know, buying uh, maybe their second property at, at this point or driving the, the fly vehicle or taking all the vacations or, or whatever it is, having kids already. And oftentimes when you're nurturing a business, some things may be put on hold. You may own property already, but like just the advancement in the, in the traditional timeline is not the same. Have you come up against witnessing that and having to deal with your own psyche about delayed gratification in ways that you wouldn't have to delay if you were at a traditional nine to five? Constantly, very constantly. One of the things that has taken a toll on me is feeling like I don't have the consistency of balance that I want for my life just yet. Right. Um, And you know, you know, the reason and you know, that it's a good reason, it's it's a worthwhile reason, but it doesn't make it less sucky sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, or for instance, like if your girlfriends, you all go out, right? <laughs> and they're all like nine to fivers, they're making good money and they buy a bottle for the table. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't sign up for this bottle for the table, okay? I came to... I, I came to have a good time with you all and I was going to get maybe like a little drink or something, but I can sign up for a bottle for a table. But like all these um, unconscious ways that their success kind of makes them make decisions that are very different from how I'm making decisions right now. One thing that has been helpful is getting some business friends. Uh, your friends, they love you so dearly. Um, they mean so well but they can never understand the right. weight of what it takes to start your own business and to keep it running every day. And when they try to draw up those, those comparisons, it can, it can really make you feel detached from the relationship. It can make you feel a little bitter. Uh, it can make you feel misunderstood. And, and had it not been from, for getting some relationships and starting some WhatsApp WhatsApp groups with people who are in a similar um, status as me, uh, I think I would have continued to struggle, right? Because the cancer in me wants to feel deeply connected and and deeply like in unison with people, and this has kind of you know disrupted that. You know, it really has, and it's. Sometimes some some months are harder than others. I'm like, dang, I just want my friends to like deeply understand what I'm going through. And you have to let that go a little bit because I don't, I don't think that can happen. Yeah. And I know I remember when I was in solo practice, having the experience of, you know, especially practicing in New York. I had friends who would be in town who didn't live in New York constantly. I'm coming to town for, you know, for business. 
let's have dinner. Now they're there on their company's dime. So in addition to having uh, a really great well-paying nine to five, they're also getting reimbursed for you know a large portion of every meal. So I remember having this experience with a really good friend who was coming to town and I had to be like, listen, like some really expensive meal is just not in my budget this week. Like there's no room for it anywhere. And this person being a good friend was like, I'll cover dinner, not a problem. But I remember going to that dinner and she was so concerned. I was like, what happened? Like, what, what is going on in your life that <laughs> you didn't want to go to dinner? I'm like, uh, this Fifth Avenue office rent and my home bills and like quarterly taxes. And it's just a lot of, it's not that any calamity happened. This is real life when you work for yourself and you're in the building phase. So I understand the idea of, you know, friends that genuinely care about you. They just don't have a point of reference for very specific, a very specific way of living. And, you know, what is a hundred or 150 bucks for dinner for most people is like, this is just a night out because I'm about to get paid again on the 15th and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Or this is a part Mm -hmm. of my entertainment budget Mm -hmm. for the month. Not realizing you have all these other responsibilities and you're taking a fraction of the income that you had before you became an entrepreneur, a $125 dinner is a decision. Like right. it's, a, it's a conscious decision that could have right. implications. And it's to your point, it's very important to situate yourself around people. doesn't mean you cut those other friends, but situate no. yourself around people who really are living that life or who have lived it and have a unique uh, and keen understanding of what it really means to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely not cutting off, but definitely adding. I will say um, even venting uh, is much easier to do with a small business owner because you'll find with your, or I find sometimes with, with dear friendships, the go-to is to quickly get you to a place of, uh, of gratitude or to quickly get you to a place of a positive voice, right? Um, and when I'm talking to my small business friends, we just let it hang. We just let it sit there. And we don't have to quickly pick up the pieces and 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 show how grateful we are right now. We don't have to show um, that we're perky about it or um, we get to we get to like lie there mm-hmm. and like whatever those pieces are. And it's actually um, a lot more like healing for me to feel like I don't have to rush out of of whatever is bothering me. Right. Um, and I, again, that's different for different people. Some people need to like quickly move out of that. But for me, I like to let it settle. I like to feel my feelings. Um, and I find that having those small business owner relationships, I get to have that space to do that. Absolutely. And this is actually a, a great segue, um, in talking about relationships because so when we met for the first episode, you and Ali were just dating. Yeah. Right. Then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you were a whole fiance. Right. (laughs) So like DeMarcus and I were like super excited for you guys to not only build a business together, but now continue to build a life together in the next phase of your relationship, which, you know, we're all about black love on this show. So um, that was really exciting to witness. But we know how not only just regular business challenges and being in business with your partner, But now the added complexity of of this pandemic, we know how that has impacted some people's relationship. Did it strengthen your relationship with Ali? Did it test it? What was that like for you both? I can't say the pandemic did anything to our relationship because we were already (laughs) living and working with each other. Mm -hmm. And so 
that that change that the whole world was kind of experiencing, we had already done that for a year. I wake up to them. I walk to work with them. I, I then work with them. Then I walk home from work with them. And then I go I eat dinner and go to sleep with them. Right. And so uh, that the pandemic didn't change that at all. Right. Um, but if I'm just thinking about the beginning and us transitioning into it, it was very difficult. It was very, very difficult. We have two different personalities and ways of just like navigating the world and definitely, you know, sometimes business. Um, one of the hardest things was navigating how to be leaders amongst our staff, right? Mm. And and how to be a united front, but also be our own individual selves. And we clashed a lot um, in trying to understand and create some methodology around that. You know, like we didn't know how to be leaders together. Um, you. And I often would say, I'll get mad at him. I was like, you come, you're coming off as fun dad. And I'm like, you know, the mean mom, you know, because I'm laying down the rules and I'm a teacher. And so I have that background of like, I believe in boundaries and setting them early. And um, that was really difficult for us. That was not fun. And it took a long time. <laughs> and it often made me doubt myself of, you know, am I cut out for this work? Uh Am I am I doing the right thing by my staff? If if it's so drastic at times, our approaches like if, am I am I in the wrong? You know, uh, too often. Uh, and we just began to find our rhythm. We began to talk more about what what felt productive with staff um, or just any anything that regard our business. Um, we do role plays, which definitely is a test to the teacher and me. Like we would act out or reenact the moments and. and as if we did it the way we want the other person to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we could have a point of reference. If this ever comes out, if this ever comes back around the situation or anything like it, we've practiced and we created some muscle memory around what to do. That's great. So, I mean, I I think, and it it just speaks to, I'm going to make up a word, which I probably used on the show before, the stick-to-itiveness of, you guys have different personalities, but you're committed. Mm-hmm. You're committed to each other. You're committed to the business and you're committed to navigating that world. And, and I'm, I'm glad you were honest about the struggle because once again, everybody from the outside looking in, we see this beautiful black couple who's built this amazing prosperous business together. And it's just so great. And why are they, why can they make it work? And I can't, you know, you just start to create this narrative in your mind of some level of perfection. That's not realistic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it really what, I think differentiates those who make it from those who don't as just business partners, romantic partners, and even both. It's not that they, because they have the same temperament or they have the same views on everything. It's a commitment to recognize each other's strengths and say, when we, we hit a bump in the road, we believe that we are purposed to build this together. We believe we are purposed to build a life together. And what that means is we're going to keep working at it and, and keep trying to figure out how to navigate the difficult moments to create the perfect life for or us. Right. It's not perfect, but it's the perfect life for us. Right. And what has been helpful and maybe a cheat code for us even is that we don't shy away from communication. Mm-hmm. Right. And we reach that at two different ways and two different personality types. His personality is he is ever so inquisitive and curious. And so he has to peel back the layers because that's just who he is, right? And so communication is going to always 
It's going to always happen and it's going to always be on the table because that's who he is. Right. Uh, for me, I'm a spice ball. Right. <laughs> you know, I can't hold water. Right. If I'm frustrated about something, you probably have maybe 12 hours until you're going to hear from me. Right. Like I'm the one who call a friend and say, hey, what you said the other day bothered me. Right. Uh, and so however we arrive at our desire to communicate, um, it has been helpful for us because we don't shy away from it. It's not something that we are fear, uh, fearful of. Uh, and so I would say to anyone who's trying to balance business and love, uh, if you're not, if you're, you or the other person aren't arriving at just wanting to communicate, like that's not your natural inclination, then that might be something um, to build up um, and either or both people. It's just this desire to be in communication. That's that's great advice. And and we know that you all are working today. So I'm, I'm going to let you get out of here shortly. So we've been asking this question in every one of these check-ins, and I feel like I need to sort of uh, revise the question at, at this juncture. So what we've been asking people is like, we're at the point where everything is back open and life returns to some form of normalcy. Uh, what's the first thing that you're doing? Well, some people have already returned to that normalcy. <laughs> so, so I will ask you, I'll say, if you haven't done it yet, what's the first thing that you want to do? Or if you've already jumped into what is a, a normal life, what is the first thing that you did? Hmm. That's a difficult one for us, uh, just because we've been open throughout the entire pandemic. Even though it was takeout delivery, we never closed. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm trying to say it out loud because I'm trying to walk myself to the answer because like a low hanging fruit would say indoor dining. Right. But we knew that was to come and that doesn't feel like the right answer to your question. And it can be it can be social, personal, whatever. Ah, yes. I have my answer now. <laughs> we started going on morning walks every morning. Mm. We had never done it before. It was not a part of our um, our routine. And I just can't tell you how invigorating and rejuvenating it has been to us as individuals and us as a couple of creating time. Um, it means that we get up earlier earlier than we already get up early, right? We're getting up at six o'clock to be at Prospect Park and sit by the lake. Um, but my quality of life has shot up uh, with mm. something that we had never done prior to COVID. But I think this desire to be out and this desire to, you know, breathe fresh air and um, to have some solace pushed us to kind of create this 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 moment in time for us on a daily. And it's been perfection. Well, listen, I, I think one unexpected blessing of all of the trauma of the last what at this point, 14 months has been the promotion, the publicity that you all have gotten and the support. Um, that you've received. And while that may have started because of a, a feature from some really prominent people, there's a reason people keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And when that, that speaks to you know, this worth piece that we're talking about, it's one thing to say, oh, well, Beyonce put us out there, right? Or Shonda put us out there and that's why people found us, but they found you and they've stayed or new people have found you, which speaks to the, the product. It speaks to your level of customer service. It, it speaks to you being in the lane that you were supposed to be in. So I just want to encourage you because it, it is easy to attribute it to like, we're all black on everything now and support <laughs> black businesses. And that's great. 
But when when you put out a quality product and you provide quality service, we all know we have short memories now, right? You could be hot today and like a distant memory tomorrow. So the fact that you've maintained elevated business, uh, you've been able to pivot and learn through the mistakes, I think is a testament to, to you doing and being in the arena that you're supposed to be in. So kudos to you and Ali and Brooklyn T. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's next and how you guys continue to grow. And I'm sure we'll be checking in again. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. <laughs> so of course, I knew it was going to be, but tell people where they can find you online. Absolutely. So you can visit our website, brooklynt.com. You can come on down to 524 Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn, Bedside to come visit us and shop. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Brooklyn T. We kept it pretty simple. <laughs> So 26ers, you know what to do. We support our own. Go order some tea. And I'm not saying that because Brooklyn Tea is a part of the 26er family. I'm saying that because the tea is really good. So go go pick something up. Follow the brand. Follow what they're doing. You know, we have to support our own. And if you've enjoyed this episode and the candor that Jamila brought to the show, please tell somebody about it. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 